This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. On the 14th chapter of John's Gospel is where we need to be. And just read a couple of verses from verse 8. So John 14 and 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Very often we, we preach and teach on various aspects of Christ's ministry, Christ, the priesthood of Christ, his sonship, his messiahship, his lordship, his saviorhood, his kingly ministry, his shepherd ministry, his servant ministry, and so forth. But tonight I want to turn our thoughts towards another vital aspect of the ministry of Christ, and that was his revelation of the Father. Jesus revealed to men the Father heart of God. No one before him ever revealed truly the Father heart of God. Remember, of course, that Jesus' audience was primarily Jewish, and they would be very familiar with the concept of the fatherhood of God. And uh, they recognized, of course, that God was the Father of all men by creative right. But most especially for them, that he was the Father of Israel by covenant right. But Jesus wanted to take it further than that. He wanted to reveal the Father heart of God, that God wanted to be their Father by redemptive right, so that there could be that reconciliation with the Father. If there was one word that was always on the lips of Jesus, it was surely Father. In his time when he was 12 years old, when he was at the temple and he was debating with the doctors of law and the theologians there. And you remember how he stayed for three days and Mary and Joseph couldn't find him and then eventually they did find him. Remember what he said? Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? And he wasn't speaking about Joseph, of course. He was speaking about God the Father. So even that young tender age he was very, very aware of who he was and who his father was. And then, of course, whenever he was on the cross and those final words of him, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then again, there was moments of great crisis in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was praying and in the end, remember, he said, Father, not 
my will, but thine be done. And then, of course, the times of faith, when he stood at the grave of his friend Lazarus, and he started to pray, and he says, Father, I'm not praying for my sake, because I know that you always hear me. I'm praying for their sake. But he says, Father, you always hear me. And so there was that lovely relationship that he had with the Father. In Jesus' private discussions with his disciples in John 14, all the way through to John 17, if you count it, he mentions the Father directly 50 times and indirectly another 50 times. The disciples had never, ever heard anyone at any time ever address Almighty God as Father so intimately and so pointedly and so passionately as our Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, when we speak of Father, then we're speaking of family, we're speaking of relationship, we're speaking of intimacy, we're speaking of sons and daughters. And can I remind you again of a little thing I told you, but in the Old Testament, where a name is prefixed with the word ben, it means son of. Benoni, son of my sorrow. Benjamin, son of my right hand. And where a name is prefixed with bath, it means daughter of. Bathsheba, daughter of Sheba. And if you take the B-E of Ben and the T-H of Bath and put them together, you get Beth, which means house of. Bethel, house of God. So the sons of God and the daughters of God make up the house of God. It's a family. In Galatians 6.10, as we therefore have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. So it's a household, it's a family. And there's no question that when you meet other believers, and, and particularly other believers from other lands and other countries. I mean, this year we have had preachers here, a couple of preachers from America, we had a couple of preachers from Burma, from Myanmar, uh, preachers, one from, from Malaysia, uh, we have had uh, preachers from, from different places. And whenever they come, you feel an affinity, you feel a closeness, you feel we're all part of the same family, no matter what color they are, no matter what language they speak, that in Christ we are one body together and we're sons and daughters of the one Father, the Father God. Ephesians 2.19. Now therefore we are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints of the household of God. John 14, Jesus said, if a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. And we will come unto him and make our abode or make our home or dwelling place with him. And so a greater part of Jesus' ministry was to, to show the Father heart of God and to show us that we belong to the family of God, the household of God, and that we truly are brothers and sisters in Christ. And... Jesus even took it further than that to make it more intimate and more personal. 
He used the word Abba when he prayed. Abba, Father. And, and Paul picks up on that in Romans 8. But W.E. Vine, the great New Testament scholar, he said that where Abba appears, it is always followed by Father. Abba may be used without Father, but never Abba... Sorry, Father may be used without Abba, but never Abba without Father. And so when he used the term Abba, he always, always says Abba, Father. And that was purposeful. He did that deliberately. Abba, Vine says, is a word framed by the lips of an infant and betokens unreasoning trust. In other words, it's a childlike endearment, like Daddy. But Jesus always used it with Father. And Father expresses an intelligent apprehension of the relationship. And the two together express the love and the intelligent confidence of the child towards the Father. So when Jesus used the term Abba, Father, he was letting his disciples know that he had that intimate, personal relationship with God the Father. But he also respected it and held him highly and understood that he was truly Almighty God. And so he used the two terms. I suppose when we were growing up, our mom may have said to us one day, now your dad will be home soon for supper. And we understood that. <coughs> but sometimes she said, now when your father gets home, you wait till your father gets home. And suddenly that takes on a different tenor, doesn't it? Dad's warm and fuzzy, but father, hmm, a bit of authority in that. And so Jesus used the two terms together, but all of it to show the father heart of God, that God is a loving and compassionate and a merciful God, and he wants a relationship with his children. And so family is not only a good idea, it's a God idea. And not only is it a God idea, it's God's ideal. It's God's ideal. Rarely do you ever would be involved in a wedding where you wouldn't use Ephesians 5. Where it talks about a bride and groom and Christ and his church. And Paul links the two together, this mystical union between Christ and his church. And likewise, there's this mystical union between the Father and us also. Uh, the family on earth is a, is a kind of parallel to the family of heaven. If you think of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is a, a unity within that family, the family of the Godhead. In Ephesians 3, 14 and 15, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And so once we come into the body of Christ and we're part of the family of God, uh, then we're part of God's ideal and God's idea of a family. 
And right now we're the family of God on earth, but one day we'll be the family of God in heaven. Why he wants family, I do not know. It's a mystery, but he does. And he wants us. And he wants us above anything else. He wants us above all of the angels. He wants a living relationship with us that will last throughout all eternity. Not all fathers are good. Some are verbally abusive. Some are physically abusive. Some cares nothing for their children. Some deserts their children. But not God. He's a perfect father. The reason I say that is because not everyone has got a good relationship with their father on earth, unfortunately. Not everyone has. But those of us who do have, or who did have, can relate to that. For those who didn't have can also struggle and wonder about God the Father. But he's perfect. He's not like the imperfect earthly fathers. He's a perfect father. And so the Father offers us his companionship. John 14, 23. If a man loved me, Jesus said, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our home with him. Again and again and again, Jesus reiterates the idea, the incredible idea, that Almighty God wants to be a father to us. And that is a powerful thing for God to do and want to have a relationship with us. In 1 John chapter 1, uh, and you don't necessarily have to turn to this, but in 1 John chapter 1, I'm reading from verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. John is an old man. He's the last living member of all of the apostles. They're all gone martyr, dead. And John's about 90 when he writes this. And he still is trying to get home to the church that our fellowship is with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's important. Because often we talk about Jesus and we talk about God but Jesus wanted to show us that God is our Father. And as much as we want relationship with Jesus, we need that relationship with the Father. The Holy Spirit's the one who drew us to Jesus to get us saved. Jesus wants to draw us to the Father into relationship. And in John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, I beg your pardon, first uh, three verses, 
Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. What an amazing thing that you and I can actually call ourselves the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now are we the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in himself purifies himself just as he is pure. And so Jesus was forever telling his disciples and telling us that eternal God wants to be our loving heavenly Father. And he wants to draw us into relationship with our heavenly Father. What about his care? 1 Peter 5 and 7. Casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Just to realize that every care, every need, everything that annoys, everything that upsets, we can take it to our Father and we can lay it at his feet and we can share our heart with him. Because Peter says, he cares for us. He cares for us. Jesus said in John 16, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and believed that I came forth from God. The Father loves you. Uh, I have only one daughter and she has no question in her mind about my love for her. None. She can trust me. She knows she can count on me day or night. Same with her mother, of course. But I'm just saying as a father, as a dad. And I'm sure you've got that relationship with your children. And so she can relax and trust me and know that she never has to doubt, do I love her? Because I do, and I tell her that. And that's good to do, isn't it, with her children? Now, if she can trust me, an imperfect person who's prone to make mistakes or say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, as I often do. But yet she still loves me and still trusts me. How much more can she love and trust her heavenly father? If she loves me, an earthly and perfect father, how much more a heavenly, perfect father? And this is what Jesus was trying to get across to his church. What about his correction? Hmm, we're not so keen in that part. But any, any father who loves his children will bring correction into their life. It would be irresponsible of us 
if we did not correct our children. They don't like it at the time. But as they get older, then they can appreciate it. And so our Father who loves us, disciplines us, and corrects us. The book of Hebrews talks about this. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate and you're not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as it seemed best to them. But he for our profit, we may be partakers of his holiness. And no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The Lord has got a way of chastening his people. He can rebuke us. He can make his displeasure known to us. And sometimes we need that, and I've certainly experienced it. When they've done wrong, we have said wrong, we have went wrong, we've made a wrong choice or decision against his will and purpose that we knew, then he has to chasten us because he cares that much about us, because he wants us on the right path, he wants us on the right track, as any good parent will do. Now, there's much discussion today about parenting and what we should do and what we shouldn't do, but the Bible says, spare the rod and spoil the child. Wisest man that ever lived said that. But today, uh, we are not to do anything like that. We just let children do what they want. Well, when they get into the wild world, I can guarantee you they'll not be able to do what they want. Somebody will correct them. <laughs> Better us who loves them and cares for them. I remember one time, many years ago, uh, my pastor, uh, he used to take me to America and to Canada. He would hold short crusades there. And sometimes he would send me ahead to prepare the way. And I remember one particular occasion in Canada with our good friend John Williamson whom he knew very well because he was part of that ministry too. And he said, uh, David, I want you to go ahead and, and just smooth things out, get things ready, so that when I come, I, I won't be thinking of logistics. Or I, I, just, I just be thinking of ministry. That's all I want to think about. So you do all of the odd men and get everything organized. So I says, okay, I'll do that. So I flew out first and arranged things. And there was one thing he asked me 
specially to do. And coming under pressure from John not to do that, but to do something else, and it wasn't, it wasn't bad what John asked me to do. In fact, I thought it was a great idea to tell you the truth, and I went with it. But when he came and he found out, I knew immediately he was not pleased. He was not a happy bunny. But I'll tell you what it was. All right, confession's good for the soul. He says, he used to call me Dave. He says, Dave, I don't want to stay with John. He's a lovely brother. I love him dearly, but I don't want to stay with anybody. Put me in a motel where I can think and pray, where nobody's going to be talking to me all day or all night. I just want peace to focus on ministry, which is a good thing. That's why, by the way, many times when people come here, I try to put them in somewhere. Because if you put them in to stay with somebody, they want to talk all night with them. And they wear them out. And I've traveled a wee bit, so I know that. But John says, he says, I want to stay with us. It'll save a motel anyway. Stay with us. And I thought, well, that's a good idea. We all know each other. That'd be great. Well, in the middle of the night, he got up. He woke me up. He says, Dave, he says, bad idea. Get me a motel. First thing in the morning, I'm out of here. <laughs> So I had to get him out of there fast. And John understood that. He was okay about it. So that was always said until we came back. A couple of days later in the office, he called me in. He says, Dave, remember that thing about the motel and all that? I says, I do. Never, ever do that to me again. He says, bad idea. Didn't like it. But I'm telling you this for your good because you're going to be doing this again. But you'll not be doing that again. Sure you won't. I says, no, I got the message. Okay, sir, that's fine. All right. <laughs> I was, even though it was mildly, I was mildly rebuked. Sometimes God rebukes us, and sometimes he rebukes us through other people. It's not easy to take. Our human nature doesn't like it. But if it's for our good and our benefit, <clears throat> and God, if he has to, will chastise us, to keep us on the right path, to cause us to mature and to grow. And so he corrects us. What about his character? John 14, 11. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and it will be sufficient for us. Jesus says, Philip, have I been with you such a long time and yet you have not known the Father? He that's seen me has seen the Father. What I do, the Father does. What I say is what the Father has said. You want to know what the Father's like? Just keep your eyes on me. See, people struggle with this idea of God and Jesus. As if it's two separate people. It's the one God, by the way. Not two, three gods we serve. It's one God. So they struggle. And no doubt the disciples, they had Jesus in the flesh. And he's talking about the Father to them all the time. And they're saying, well, show us the Father. He says, just look at me. You want to know what the Father's like? Look at me. Examine my life. Listen to me. Walk in my ways. Do what I do. Say what I say. That's what the Father does. He that has seen me has seen the Father. What was he doing? He was revealing the Father heart of God. They had not known the Father heart of God. 
They'd known the fatherhood of God. They knew that God was the father to all men creatively. He was the father of Israel in a covenant way, but not the father heart of God. Not in that personal, intimate way. And that's what Jesus was trying to do. Apart from the story of Christ in the New Testament, probably the greatest story after that is the prodigal, the prodigal son. And yet truly, the story truly is about the father. Yes, there's the prodigal son. Yes, there's the elder brother. And not so long ago, I did a a little series on that. But right in the heart of it is the Father. And Jesus was trying to get them to see the Father heart of God. And the beautiful way he told that story, to show them the heart of God. This is what the Father's like. And you remember how that that son went off and he took the Father's money and he went off and he, he shamed his Father and he embarrassed his Father. It was an awful thing to do and he didn't care. He really didn't care that it hurt the father. He just so wanted the money to go and spend it and have a great time, as he thought. And then how that the money was gone and he was in the pig pen and he truly was humbled and truly repented and said, I will go back to the father. And we see here the unconditional love of the father and how that the father took him back and embraced him and didn't say I love you if you do this I love you when you say this no conditions on his love whatsoever even though he had been greatly hurt and slighted and embarrassed and humiliated but yet he loved him unconditionally. He just embraced him and he hugged him and he kissed him again and again and again. And Jesus was trying to show that crowd that day, this is the father heart of God. He's so forgiving, he's so compassionate, he's so loving, he's such a big heart. It's hard to love unconditionally, isn't it? I don't know, maybe you find it easy, but I don't, particularly. It's hard to love unconditionally. We tend to love those who love us. But it's hard to love those who doesn't love us. It's harder to love those who hurt us. But this son didn't love his father, and he hurt him. But yet the father still loved him unconditionally. And received him back again. This is the father heart of God. His love was unselfish. I mean, the father in the prodigal story had got a bad deal, didn't he? Not much worse could have happened to him. He was a man of stature in the community, a man who had many servants, a man highly thought of. And I'm sure the last thing he thought was that one of his sons would do him down publicly, humiliate him in front of all of his friends and all of his neighbors. He 
He got the rough end of the stick, didn't he? But yet his love was unselfish. It was a pure love towards his son. There was nothing of self in it. And that's the love that God wants us to have. The same father heart of God. It's a high standard, isn't it? I think it's only achievable by the help of the Holy Spirit. Because Romans 5, it says, the Holy Spirit is shed abroad in our hearts. And that's the only way we can love unconditionally, unselfishly. Uncondemning his love was. Father didn't condone what he did, but he didn't condemn him either. And he could have condemned him. You remember how the father ran to meet him? And it wasn't just because he was so glad to see him, and he was. It was to get him first before he went into the village, before those elders could get their hands on him, before those elders would denounce him and shame him and tell him what a horrible, wretched, filthy son he was. But the father ran and forgave him and embraced him and kissed him unconditionally, unselfishly, and in an uncondemning manner. Didn't condemn him. You know, there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation tends to drive us away from God. Conviction wants to draw us to him. Sometimes we resist the conviction, but the idea is to draw us to him, not to condemn us, to convict us that we come back and things are made right. Like the woman taken in adultery, Jesus didn't condone her either, but he didn't condemn her. He says, go and sin no more. You're forgiven. It's easy to give up on people, isn't it? Have you ever given up on somebody? So, well, I've got good reason to. The father in the prodigal story had even better reason to, but he didn't. He didn't. His love was unceasing. Every day from the moment that son left, and how long he was away, we don't know. A week, a month, a year, who knows? But every day, the father looked for his return. Every sunset evening, he went out and looked down the road to see if there would be a shadow coming up that road that could be his son. His love was unceasing. He never gave up on his prodigal. He never ceased to love him and to pray for him and to look for him. And some of you in here tonight have got prodigals. And I know that you love them. And I know that you pray for them. And my guess is you're unceasing in your prayers. And you look for their return. Can I encourage you to keep on looking, keep on praying. Never stop. Because one day, Trust God that you'll see them coming down the road and you can embrace them.
His love was unbiased. He had no... No favoritism. Of course, the elder brother couldn't even say his brother was back. This your son. Hmm. You never made a party for me. I've been with you all these years, never put a foot wrong. But son, you're ever with me. All that I have is yours. Do you not know that I have always loved you? That everything I have is yours? It made no difference. Aren't you glad he doesn't make any difference in us? We make differences in people, but God doesn't. If they're his children, and if they need to correct it, and if they're gone astray, if they're his children, let him deal with them. I'm talking tonight about the Father's heart. Because that was a part of, big part of Jesus' ministry, to reveal that to us, because nobody else had. The prophets revealed his power, and sometimes revealed the anger of God. But the love of God, the mercy of God, the compassion of God, the big heart of God. Jesus came along and that's what he revealed. I want to play a, a little song to you tonight in closing. And it's based on 43 different scriptures. Some of them you'll instantly recognize. And it's from a, a CD called Beautiful Tapestry. A fellow Rob Critchley. It was an album many years ago. And uh, it's about the father heart of God. So just listen to it for a few moments. The words you are about to experience are true. They will change your life if you let them. They come from the very heart of God. He loves you, and He is the Father you have been looking for all your life. This is His love letter to you.
I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb and brought you forth on the day you were born. I have been misrepresented by those who don't know me. I am not distant and angry, but am the complete expression of love. And it is my desire to lavish my love on you, simply because you are my child and I am your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could, for I am the perfect father. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand, for I am your provider and I meet all your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope, because I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts toward you are countless as the sand on the seashore, and I rejoice over you with singing. I will never stop doing good to you, for you are my treasured possession. I desire to establish you with all my heart and all my soul, and I want to show you great and marvelous things. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Delight in me and I will give you the desires of your heart, for it is I who gave you those desires. I am able to do more for you than you could possibly imagine, for I am your greatest encourager. I am also the Father who comforts you in all your troubles. When you are brokenhearted, I am close to you. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I have carried you close to my heart. One day, I will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and I'll take away all the pain you have suffered on this earth. I am your father, and I love you even as I love my son Jesus. For in Jesus, my love for you is revealed. He is the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you, and to tell you that I am not counting your sins. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I love that I might gain your love. If you receive the gift of my son Jesus, you receive me, and nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Come home and I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I have always been father, and will always be father. My question is, will you be my child? Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.